week's recording of the Worcester News brought to you by the Equipment Service for the Blind. Our service is free, but if you would like to make a donation or have any comments regarding our service, please let us know by phone or pop a note in your wallet. And a special welcome to our new listener, Philip Oak. Welcome, Philip. I am Sally and my husband Ian is reading with me and today we have a new volunteer, Rianne, who is joining us for the first time. Welcome, Rianne. Alex Gwynn is our sound engineer and Carol Hartle, our team administrator. We will be reading the news from Friday, November the 19th until Thursday, November the 25th. We will start with the headlines, followed by some general items and then the sport. Uh, The obituaries will be at the end of the recording for those who are interested. This week the sun rises at 7.47 and sets at 4.04. And then birthdays. Now we have some birthdays to look forward to. On On the 28th of November, Graham Smith and David Hunter. And a little further forward on the 8th of December is Sandra Wood. So happy birthday to uh, you three. I hope you have a lovely birthday. Our thought for this week is uh, from Isaiah 9, verses 6 and 7, written more than 700 years before Christ was born. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, And the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. And um, I will now pass you over to Ian who will give you some useful phone numbers and details of what's on in the local area. Thank you. Uh, The number for us here for the service in Wilds Lane is 01905767766. Police non-emergency number is 101. Crime Stoppers is on 0800 one. The Worcester Hub is 01905 765 765. Worcester Live is on 01905 611427. The number for Malvern Theatres is 01684 892277. Out of Hours Medical Services, treble one. And lastly, the Samaritans are on double one six one two three, and this is a free phone number. Moving on to uh, shows uh, and items of interest that are on at the moment. Firstly, at Morven Theatres, Talon are performing the best of the Eagles from Thursday, the second of December. Dial M for Murder 
will be performed from Monday the 29th of November to Saturday the 4th of December. And lastly, Kate Rusby at Christmas will be performed on Saturday the 4th of December. Uh, and the times and prices can be found uh, in the local press. Worcester Theatres, there will be a performance of the Sam Sweeney Band at Huntingdon Hall on Wednesday the 24th of November. John Shuttleworth is back on Tuesday, November the 30th, again at Huntingdon Hall. And there is a performance at the Swan Theatre of Beauty and the Beast from Tuesday the 30th of November to Sunday the 2nd of January. I hope those are of interest to some people. A poet will be appearing at Worcester's Hive Library to give a reading of her new work. Amelie Gunasekera, writer of Lotus Gatherers and the Golden Thread, will be appearing at the Butts Library on Tuesday, November the 30th. Amelie was born and grew up in Sri Lanka and after living in Mozambique, Kenya and India, moved to Cumbria in, in England. The poet will be in conversation about her writing journey and reading from her work at the event. The Worcester News Carol service will be held at Worcester Cathedral on Tuesday the 21st of December at 6.30. If you wish to apply for free tickets, please give your name, address and telephone number to the Worcester News Carol service uh, application uh, at the newspaper. Rugby fans are being given the chance to enjoy VIP treatment next month when Worcester Warriors and Acorns Children's Hospice host the ultimate match day experience. Scrum, together with friends and family, for this action-packed extravaganza on Saturday, December the 4th, in aid of Acorns and, it, and its work caring for local children and families. The event will kick off at 3pm at Six Way Stadium and we'll see Warriors face off against Coventry's Wasps in the Gallagher Premiership. Ticket holders will be able to enjoy pre-match player appearance hearing from the players themselves, access to a private function suite and staffed bar and a hot buffet. Fans will be able to enjoy the clash from the North Stand with access to a tea, coffee and soup station at half-time. Olivia Kaluna, Partnership Fundraising Manager at Acorn, said, This is one event rugby fans will not want to miss. It's going to be a day to remember. Acorn's Children's Hospice provides specialist palliative care for life-limited and life-threatened children 
and support for their families from its three hospices, including Worcester and in the community. In the past year, the charity has cared for more than 700 children and almost a 1,000 families, including those who are bereaved. It cost Acorns £27,000 per day to provide its lifeline care and support, the bulk of which comes from fundraising and donations. A limited number of charity lounge tickets, which include the buffet and exclusive access to the lounge, are available at £35 for adults and £25 for under-16s. Standing tickets are also available priced at £20 for adults, £15 for under-16s. To book Worcester Warriors matchday tickets or for more information, please visit www.acorns.org.uk. Christmas is coming to Worcester and with it the return of the annual Victorian Fair. This event, which regularly sees thousands of people flock to Worcester, returns December 2nd to 5th. Featuring more than 180 stalls, street entertainers, food vendors and craft stalls, the event is in its 29th year. It is estimated to bring in £7 million to the city's economy each year. Mayor of Worcester, Councillor Stephen Hodgson, said, We're really looking forward to welcoming people back to Worcester's Victorian Fair. Visiting it is one of the highlights of the festive calendar for so many people. Many of the items sold at the fair stalls have been made locally. Coming to the event is a great opportunity to support our talented craftspeople and traders who've had a particularly challenging year. You're guaranteed to pick up some fantastic Christmas gifts and there will also be lots of great street entertainment too. The opening ceremony, which gets underway at 4.45pm on December the 2nd, will see officials and choristers walk from the cathedral to the corn market where Councillor Hodgson will declare the fair officially open. Carols will be sung by the Cathedral Voluntary Choir and will be accompanied by the Salvation Army. In addition, there will be a short Bible reading and a prayer with the opening ceremony coming to a close at around 6pm. Attractions include Gin Lane, entertainers on stilts, children singing carols and buskers on every street corner. In addition, the carousel will be returning to the corn market alongside seasonal offerings including roast chestnuts and mulled wine. The Victorian Fair was cancelled in 2020 due to the Covid pandemic. At the time, organisers announced they had cancelled the event as the risks associated were simply too high. This was because of the event's reliance on large numbers of staff from the emergency services to keep the public safe. The Christmas markets in Gloucester, Lincoln and Bath were cancelled at the same time. For visitor information, go to worcesterchristmasfair.co.uk 
or visit the Worcester Tourist Information Centre next door to the Guildhall on Worcester High Street. And now back over to Sally, who will start the news headlines. Thank you, Ian. Um, Friday, November the 19th, partner told, I will cut your head off. A drunk father threatened to cut off his partner's head as he held a knife to her throat during a terrifying attack. Just two days later, his, her ex-partner armed himself with two knives and went looking for her. Lucas Matiaka was jailed at Worcester Crown Court for the attack on his partner of 27 years, which left her fearing she would not leave her own home alive. The 46-year-old of Keeble Close, Worcester, admitted threats to kill on August the 7th this year, and two days later, possession of two knives in a public place where he went to Goldsmith Road in Worcester looking for her, later claiming the blades were preparing his lunch. Alison Scott Jones, prosecuting, said the attack was triggered when the complainant rejected his advances, told him she wanted to end the relationship and began packing her bags. The defendant tried to lock her in a room to stop her leaving and she then noticed he had a large knife from the kitchen in his right hand, the court heard. Miss Scott Jones said she was frightened and worried about what was going to happen, especially when she was told, you're supposed to lie on the bed and I will cut your head off. She described the knife as a straight kitchen knife and the sharpest one in the house. The knife was 20 centimetres in length and a struggle then took place. He grabbed her by the shoulders and held the knife to her throat. She managed to get away from his grip and escape and ran to her vehicle outside and go to a friend's. She had genuine fears that she wasn't going to be leaving the home on that occasion, said the prosecutor. On August the 9th, two days after the threats, police were called to Goldsmith Road in Worcester after he, defendant, had been looking for his partner first at her place of work and then at the address of her friend. He was found with a bag containing two knives. In interview, he described the couple's relationship as beautiful, but unfortunately, on August the 7th, they had an argument. He agreed she wanted to leave him and he hadn't wanted her to leave. At that stage, he denied having any knife and making any threats, said Miss Scott-Jones. The defendant only had one previous conviction for being drunk and disorderly in 2014. Judge Nicholas Cartwright said, the circumstances must have been utterly terrifying to her. You were, an a you were angry, you were drunk and you were holding the knife to her throat. Quite unsurprisingly, she genuinely believed you were going to kill her there and then. He said two days later, Mackie Carter was looking to confront her. The, George, the judge told the defendant he rejected completely his explanation that he had the knives with him to prepare food and said nobody could now be unaware of the damage knives caused to people's lives. The judge took into account the defendant's lack of, his, of previous convictions and his good work record. He jailed him for a total of 22 months, half of which can be expected to serve in custody and half on licence in the community. A three-year restraining order was also made which prohibits him from having contact directly or indirectly with his former partner or going to her place of work. The headline for Saturday and Sunday, November the 20th and 21st, Factory Fire. 
A huge emergency service response dealt with a fire in Worcester. At around 7am, a fire broke out at a factory in Cosgrove Close, Blackpool. The blaze was the result of an apparent equipment failure at a manufacturing facility of Aeromet International. The company's chief executive and a few dozen employees were evacuated as firefighters tackled the fire. Chief Executive Howard Kimberley said, We are indebted to the professionalism and skill of the men and women of Hereford and Worcester Fire and Rescue Service, whose prompt actions meant that the fire was dealt with very rapidly. We are also proud of the actions of our employees whose immediate response to the fire was exemplary. He added, Our first priority is always the safety of our employees and they have been sent home for the rest of the day as a precaution whilst clean-up activity is undertaken in the affected area and all site systems are checked. The area of the fire was localised to one discrete part of the factory and we expect to recommence operations on Monday morning once a full damage assessment has been undertaken. The cause of the fire is believed to be due to equipment failure. Aeromet employees, 95 people, at its Worcester factory facility, which manufactures alloy castings, primarily for aerospace applications. Seven HWFRS fire engines and around two dozen firefighters were attending the fire, along with several West Mercia police officers. A HWFRS spokesman said at the time, Hereford and Worcester Fire and Rescue Service were called to a building fire in Cosgrove Close, Worcester, at 6.59am on November the 19th. Several resources were put in place, including crews from Malvern, Worcester, Wire Forest and Ross-on-Wye. A fire in a machine has been surrounded and it is under control. It is hoped to scale back activity in the next hour. This was not the first time a fire had occurred at the Aeromets Worcester facility. On June the 3rd, 2019, a fire broke out at the unit with plumes of black smoke and balls of fire visible from Worcester City Centre. Monday, November the 22nd, attacker was looking for trouble. A youth was looking for trouble when he hacked two men in the face with a zombie knife in Worcester, leaving one victim with a gaping wound and a broken skull. The 16-year-old, who cannot be named, was drunk and high on cannabis when he slashed the heads of both men during the knife attack in Key Street, leaving both scarred for life. He admitted two counts of wounding with intent and was detained for 40 months when he appeared before Judge Nicholas Cartwright at Worcester Crown Court following the attack on the 18-year-old victims on Friday, June the 4th. A video circulated on social media at the time showing a man with a gaping wound to one side of his face as he sat on the grass, bleeding heavily. The attacker could also be seen holding a large knife. Judge Cartwright described the blade as cranked-bladed zombie-style knife with a large, heavy blade. He said, 
It is capable of delivering a cutting blow with the sharp edge, a stabbing wound with the point and a crushing blow because of its weight and size. In fact, a crushing blow to the bones underneath the side of the face was caused in that way, as well as the incision through the skin and muscle to the side of your victim's face. He continued, You had consumed a very large quantity of alcohol and you had smoked cannabis. You were in a very public open space used by students at Worcester College. You were behaving in a way which demonstrated that you were looking for trouble. Your two victims were doing their best to prevent it. After you had initiated the violence, you quickly produced the knife and you were swinging it around, aiming at the heads of your two victims, and you made contact with both. The threshold set by the Court of Appeal for what amounts to a prolonged or persistent assault is a high one, but Judge Cartwright told him, your actions crossed that threshold. The photographs of Jake Jake Griffin taken at hospital show how dreadful the injury to him was. The image taken more recently, shows how skilfully the devastating injury was repaired by surgeons. But this young man will bear a substantial and very visible scar to the left-hand side of his face for the rest of his life. Coupled with the fracture underneath the wound, it amounts to a grave injury. The scarring will amount to a permanent and irreversible injury. Reese Waring suffered a wound to the side of his face in front of the ear, which is much smaller and less obvious from a knife wound the court heard but George Cartwright said the wound was in a dangerous place he recalls being told by a doctor that it had just missed a major blood vessel but there is no medical evidence to confirm that and so I cannot proceed on that basis it was however plainly a wound that carried a risk of more serious injury In sentencing, he took into account a psychiatric report which showed that the defendant has a borderline learning disability and mixed anxiety and depressive order. This does reduce your culpability to some extent, but that needs to be balanced against the fact that you chose to drink and to smoke cannabis, he said. Because the youth pleaded guilty at the first available opportunity, the sentence was reduced by a third from 60 months to 40 months. Had he been on adult, an adult, found guilty after trial, the judge would have imposed a sentence of seven and a half years. Judge Cartwright said, That is because the carrying of knives like this by young men and the use of them to settle petty grievances is taking the lives on regular day basis. Everything should be done to mark society's desire to stop such offending and deterrent sentences are therefore necessary. Concurrent sentences were imposed for the possession of the blade and of the cannabis. Tuesday, November the 23rd. Recycling cats and dogs. Dead pets, dirty nappies and even a python are some of the nasty items people are chucking into their recycling bin. Disgusted staff have to remove the corpses or smelly nappies, which contaminate the load and unfortunately lead to everything being taken to the incinerator. Worcester News visited Invarisort in Norton, just as it is about to embark on its busiest period with Christmas and the New Year just around the corner. Councillor Tony Miller, Cabinet Member with Responsibility for Environment, said... Unfortunately, there have been occasions that a dead pet, a dog or a cat has been put in the green bin. 
We've had a dead python, but some of the most nasty things are people put bags of dog poo or dirty babies' nappies. For the people sorting it out, it is not very nice at all. It contaminates the load, then they have to go to the waste plant in Hartlebury where it is turned into energy. On average, 300 tonnes of potential recycling comes in a day, of which around 12% is rejected and taken to Hartlebury. Around 220 bales are created and taken elsewhere to be turned into anything from new glass bottles and aluminium cans to car bumpers and newspapers. Everything has to be audited so they know where the recycling ends up. After Christmas, there will be an extra 300 tonnes of glass and 600 tonnes of paper, with staff working on Saturdays to keep up with the backlog. It is an incredible process for the materials to get sorted using puffs of air, magnets, optical sorters, glass crushers and ballistic separators, as well as people checking through the load by hand. Textiles, foil and electrical items are some of the main items being thrown into the green bins mistakenly. An item should be washed and cleaned, no half-full tins of beans, while cardboard should be flattened and cans and plastic containers kept whole. If in doubt, put it in the black bin, advises Councillor Miller. At the NV Recover plant in Hartlebury, not only is the waste turned into energy, but ash, which contains glass, ceramics and stones, can be recycled and used by the construction industry. Christmas poses its own problems, with well-intentioned people throwing the wrong kind of items into their green bins. Councillor Miller continued, With Christmas paper, people think it can be recycled, but if it is plasticky and doesn't scrunch up, that would go into the black bins. Wednesday, November the 24th. Make or break. Hospitality businesses in Worcester are preparing for a make or break Christmas season and fears arise in Covid cases could hit the industry. With Christmas parties having been booked across the city, there are worries if Covid cases rise. These events could be cancelled leaving pubs and restaurants high and dry at their most important time of the year. Nigel Smith, who runs the Cardinal's Hat Pub in Worcester and the Fleece Inn at Bretfordton, said preparations are going ahead as normal for Christmas, but it is preparing for any eventuality. He said it is make or break Christmas because January is a long old month. We're all just happy to be open at all after last Christmas, so we're really looking to increase the festive activities we do at the Hat and the Fleece. In terms of bookings, both places are looking really strong, probably the best we've had since 2019. That being said, we're preparing for a rise in cases and doing what we can to keep everyone safe. Mr Smith added office Christmas party bookings were slightly down on what they would usually be at this time of year, but said he and his staff were bullish and looking forward to the festive season. Venues, including Worcestershire County Cricket Club and Six Ways Stadium, regularly host dozens of office Christmas parties and large gatherings each year. A Worcester Warriors spokesman said, 
The club is continuing to make Six Ways a safe place to go, urging people not to come if they show COVID symptoms. They said, as a club, we follow government and public health guidelines on COVID and have implemented measures to ensure that all visitors to Six Ways and staff are safe. We have not had to cancel any rugby matches because of COVID-19 and our events programme has returned gradually at the latest COVID-19 programme has permitted. In the past week, we have successfully staged three matches. Modus Cup with a crowd of 3,000, Warriors v Bristol Bears with a crowd of more than 6,000 and England Women with a crowd of 7,500. We are about to open Skate at Six Ways, an outdoor skating rink, and have a busy programme of Christmas parties starting this weekend. We have an outdoor German-style Christmas fest on Friday and Saturday this week, and we know that Covid has not gone away, and so we remain vigilant. Anyone who visits or works at the stadium who shows any of the Covid symptoms should not come to Six Ways and should take a lateral flow test and, if necessary, a PCR test. Ahead of Christmas, the government has advised people to take a lateral flow test before going to crowded places like shopping centres or hospitality venues. Adam Giannotti, who runs the Olive Branch restaurant in the city, also said that bookings had been strong, with people wanting to get back to normal after Christmas, which was ruined by Covid last year. He added, We are all gearing up for Christmas now. This last week of November is a really busy one for us. We are doing all our ordering for the Christmas market. We are all relieved we can be back open again, especially knowing it can all be taken away if the restrictions come back in again. We are lucky that our bookings and sales are good enough that we don't need Christmas to be a make or break. Thursday, November the 25th, Care Home Forced to Turn Off TV. Vulnerable elderly residents at a Worcester care home have been left too frightened to put their TVs on after being caught in the crossfire of a licence dispute. Residents at Himbleton House St John's have received several threatening letters demanding payment after a standoff between Platform Housing Group and the government regulators which has been rumbling on since August. Some occupants of the 43-flat sheltered complex have even opted to pay the £35 fees themselves, despite the fact it should be covered by their rent. The relative of one elderly resident, who wished not to be identified, said tenants can't even watch TV in the communal lounge as they fear it is illegal, meaning many are being left lonely and isolated. She said, I have a relative with complex needs who is enduring living in this home. This situation is causing great distress to all. Most are too frightened to put their television on, which is making them feel more vulnerable due to extreme isolation and increased loneliness. Even watching TV in the communal lounge is illegal. Residents have been just trapped in the middle of an argument. TV licensing are demanding payment. Platform say it has been paid, but this cannot be confirmed 
And meanwhile, the residents continue to worry and suffer financial and emotional abuse. Some residents are so stressed they have opted to pay individually, incurring a cost of £35 monthly or £41 quarterly. Even my maths can work out that cannot be correct. I find it shocking that vulnerable and elderly adults are treated in this way with no voice, support or dignity. Platform Housing said it has paid the fees, but changes to the way in which TV licensing processes payments have caused the delays. Hayley Murphy, Retirement Living Operations Manager, said, We are aware that a small minority of our residents are being contacted by TV licensing with regards to the scheme not having a concessionary TV licence in place. We understand this is frustrating and have written to those affected to address this. TV licensing has changed the way it processes payments and has introduced a third party to do this. We have sent all the payments but have been informed they can't be processed. We are doing all we can to establish the reason and to resolve the situation and are in regular contact with those regarding this. That's it. The Friends of Worcester Cathedral have been celebrating the 90th anniversary of their foundation with a reception after Coral Evensong and a dinner. Since their founding in 1931, at the suggestion of the then Dean, Dr William Moore Ede, they have raised and donated over £1.8 million for projects, the most recent being the conservation of the remains of the Christ in Majesty sculpture in College Hall. Dean Moore Ede and the Chapter of Worcester abolished the entrance charge to the cathedral in 1924, relying instead on donations. Their income was still inadequate and they proposed a society of friends. Lord Cobham agreed to be their first president and an executive committee was formed, which first met in October 1931. By 1934, 751 people had joined, including Sir Edward Elgar. Projects founded by the Friends have included the restoration of the crypt, which had become a store. The cafe and shop were also begun by the Friends and staffed, in the early days, by volunteers. The music department is given an annual grant and help has been given for choir robes and the commissioning of special music for occasions like the Three Choirs Festival. The Friends raise money through their membership fees and by holding social events. They aim to have fun as well as raising money for the cathedral. The past year and a half has been difficult as during the lockdown periods all events were cancelled. Recently, they have been able to sponsor a talk during the Three Choirs Festival and hold the 90th anniversary dinner last Friday. A talk and poetry session with the Dean in December is already a sellout. A programme of events for next year is an advanced state of organisation. The Friends comprises of people of any faith or none who happen to love our cathedral. Members are largely local people, although some come from far and wide. These are again times when the cathedral budget is very tight and the Friends trustees welcome new members. If you're interested, you can contact the cathedral or pick up a leaflet. Children's services in Worcestershire are no longer under central government supervision. 
The Department of Education has ended its statutory direction of Worcestershire County Council. Under this, the department was in charge of ensuring standards were raised across the board. Removal of the direction recognises the council as making improvements to its handling of children and family services. In a letter, Will Quince MP, Parliamentary Undersecretary of State for Children and Families, said there had been significant improvement in the way the council handled services for children and their families. He wrote, Elected members, senior leaders, partners and staff at all levels in Worcestershire had demonstrated a commitment to achieving the improvements. Removal of the direction comes as a result of the significant improvement since Ofsted's 2016 inspection as evidenced in the 2019 inspection and recent focused visits as well as comprehensive quarterly reports provided. Tina Russell, who holds the combined role as Chief Executive of Worcestershire Children First and County Council Director of Children's Services, said, We are delighted with the decision to remove the statutory direction. As Minister Quince's letter acknowledges, there are significant challenges in delivering high-quality and effective children's social care services especially over the recent COVID-19 response period. And I am continually impressed, proud and grateful to all our staff who have worked tirelessly to ensure that vulnerable children and families now have access to an improved quality of service. As a dedicated children's services company, we will work through our business plans and use our quality assurance work to continue to learn and develop understanding ourselves and the differences we are making to the lives of children and young people. Councillor Andy Roberts, Cabinet Minister with Responsibility for Children and Families, said, This is a brilliant key milestone for Worcestershire County Council. It's great to see the significant progress made by Worcestershire Children First in safeguarding and the services for vulnerable children in the county has been recognised by the Department for Education. A friendly otter wowed walkers along the River Severn in Worcester as it played in the water. The mammal popped its head up as if to say hello, then popped back under the water in Diglis. It was filmed by Kath Brown on Friday on the riverside in Worcester. She said... I saw him Friday lunchtime. I watched him swim upstream from near the weir to the bottom of Diglis Basin Lock. It was magical. He'd go under the water for about 20 seconds, then pop out again to swim and roll. I'd have stayed all day, but my dog was getting restless. Worcester theatres are among 925 recipients to benefit from the latest round of awards from the Culture Recovery Fund. The Swan and Huntingdon Hall have been handed £122,000 from the Government Fund, designed to help venues and business recover from the pandemic. More than £100 has been awarded to hundreds of cultural organisations across the country. Worcester Theatre's Chief Executive Sarah-Jane Morgan said, I'm absolutely delighted that Worcester Theatres have been successful in the third round of the cultural recovering funding. 
This funding will be instrumental as we continue to navigate our way around the challenges we have faced throughout the pandemic. It's an encouraging boost to be supported consistently throughout the three rounds by the Department of Culture, Media and Sport, as well as the Arts Council of England and it allows the organisation to continue our work in developing a strong arts programme within the heart of Worcester. Cultural Secretary Nadine Dorries said, Culture is for everyone and should therefore be accessible to everyone, no matter who they are and where they're from. Through unprecedented <coughs> government financial support, the Cultural Recovery Fund is supporting arts and cultural organisations so they can continue to bring culture to communities the length and breadth of the country, supporting jobs, boosting local economies and inspiring people. More than £1.2 billion has already been awarded from the unprecedented Cultural Recovery Fund, supporting around 5,000 individual organisations and sites across the county, ranging from local museums to West End theatres, grassroots music venues to festivals and organisations in the cultural and heritage supply chains. Arts Council Chief Executive Darren Henley said, This continued investment from the government on an unprecedented scale means our theatres, galleries, music venues, museums and art centres can carry on playing their part in bringing visitors back to our high streets, helping to drive economic growth, boosting community pride and promoting good health. It's a massive vote of confidence in the role our cultural organisations play in helping us all to lead happier lives. Worcester has been named the best UK city for blue badge parking, a new study has revealed. Parkopedia data for car parks in over 56 towns and cities around the UK was analysed by nationwide vehicle contracts to calculate the percentage of accessible car parks available in each location. Worcester topped the list of the area with the most accessible parking, with a huge 96% of the city's car parks offering accessible spaces for blue badge holders. Epsom in Surrey came in second place, with 95% of its car parks offering accessible parking. South London's Croydon came in third, with 94% of car parks having disabled spots. The top 10 UK towns and cities with the most accessible parking. Nearly 14 million people in the UK are registered as disabled. Blue badges are given to a driver or a passenger that has a disability or health condition and allows the holder to park in a place closer to their destination where other drivers can't. Since the UK government announced that those with hidden disabilities could also apply for a blue badge back in 2019, there has been a surge in demand for, for disabled parking throughout the country. The most recent government figures from 2020 show there are 2.5 million blue badge holders in England alone. In stark contrast to Worcester, Birmingham finds itself in the 10 worst UK towns and cities for accessible parking. Keith Hawes, director at Nationwide Vehicle Contracts, said, 
As those with hidden disabilities such as autism, MS and mental health issues are, not allow, are now allowed to apply for a blue badge, it is vital that towns and cities ensure there is more accessible parking available. In Birmingham, there are around 15,841 blue badge holders and only 46 car parks with disabled spaces meaning there are approximately 344 disabled motorists per car park. Cities need to make themselves more inclusive and accessible, particularly as the high street is struggling. We're also likely to see more Brits hiring cars and driving to their staycation destinations this summer, as travel abroad is still limited. Special bus services are being put on next week to help people get across Worcester for their flu jabs. The Worcester City Primary Care Network has arranged for shuttle buses to take people from Crown Gate to the racecourse. Starting on November the 29th, the services will run from the Crown Gate bus station, Stand P, to the Grandstand between 9.30am and 2pm Monday to Wednesday, noon till 2.30pm on Thursday and 9.30am till 2.30pm on Friday. The services have been set up as a partnership between the PCN, Worcester City Council's communities team and Worcester Wheels. Anyone using the bus service is asked to check availability at worcestercity-pcn.co.uk slash flu before travelling. Passengers are also asked to wear a face covering while on board to protect others. The Worcester Racecourse flu vaccination site was the first of its type in the country. Earlier this month, a similar service was set up to take people from Worcester to the walk-in site at KGV Community Hub in Brickfields. This was for both flu and COVID boosters. Due to extremely high demand, WCPCN are urging people to make use of its new tracker, that monitors stock levels at clinics across the area. There are also walk-in booster clinics at South Worcestershire healthcare sites, which includes St Peter's Baptist Church, Three Counties Showground in Malvern and Artrix in Bromsgrove. A South Worcester healthcare spokesman said, We recommend patients book ahead for these venues if they can, as the walk-in sessions do get very busy, and vaccines at these, at these locations are subject to availability. If the venue patients are looking to book an appointment with, with isn't listed on the booking system, it's likely that no slots are currently bookable for that site. But we're adding new appointments all the time, so I recommend patients keep checking for updated availability. Weekly opening times and availability, as well as details on how to book, can be found online. A care home in Worcester is celebrating after being highly commended at a national award ceremony. Perry Manor in Charles Hastings Way was commended in the Best Training and Development category at the Care Home Awards for how it trains and develops staff. The commendation for the home said Perry Manor embodies Care UK's vision for leadership programmes, new team members and a clearer career path. Home manager Catherine Matthews, who was a qualified mental health nurse prior to moving to residential care, personally oversees new team members' induction and is mentoring a team member as part of Care UK's Future Deputy Manager programme. 
Both Miss Matthews and Jimmy Wright, the home's custom, customer relations manager, are also well known for their involvement within the wider Worcester community. Mrs Matthews created an inclusive LGBTQ plus training programme working with external partners, while Mr Wright regularly delivers free Dementia Friends sessions to give local people a better understanding of what it's like to live with dementia. An annual celebration, the Care Home Awards, recognise and reward excellence and innovation in UK care home management, operation and delivery, and this year took place virtually. Mrs Matthews said, It is wonderful to have been highly commended in the best training and development category in the Care Home Awards. Outstanding care begins with outstanding team members and we're committed to ensure every individual is given the tools they need to succeed. Each and every team member has gone to incredible lengths to ensure residents' lives have been impacted as minimally as possible over the last 18 months and I'm delighted with the environment we've created here at Perry Manor. Congratulations, everyone. Perry Manor provides full-time residential nursing and dementia care, as well as short-term respite care. Rated outstanding by the CQC, the home is designed to enable residents to live enjoyable and fulfilling lives. The care home has its very own cinema, cafe and hair salon, with space both indoors and out for relaxation and recreation. Thousands of lights have been lit in memory and celebration of loved ones as part of an annual campaign by St Richard's Hospice. More than 2,400 names have been dedicated so far with donations raising funds to support the charity's care of patients and their families. Two services were held at Worcester Cathedral on Friday, November the 19th offering a place for the community to come together, light candles and reflect on precious memories of loved ones. The evening service was followed by a procession to St Andrew's Spire, where a Christmas tree was illuminated, full of dedicated lights of love, against a backdrop of music from the Salvation Army. Biddy King whose husband Roger was cared for by St Richard's Hospice, switched on the lights on behalf of patients and families. Dedicated names are displayed around St Andrew's Spire and in a book of remembrance at Worcester Cathedral. They will also be published in the Worcester News on Christmas Eve, if you wish. You can still dedicate a light. Call the fundraising team on 01905 958262. Supporters who dedicate and donate online will have the added benefit of their personal message being displayed on the St Richard's online Christmas tree. Alison Parks, hospice fundraiser, said, Lights of Love hold such a special place in the hearts of everyone at St Richard's, and we know how important it is to our supporters too. It was such a privilege to welcome everyone along to reflect on and celebrate those special to them in the run-up to Christmas, particularly as we were unable to hold the services last year due to COVID. We are so grateful to everyone who has donated towards funding our hospice care. Thank you. 
to ensure your dedicated names are printed on the banners around St Andrew's Spire and in the Worcester News on Christmas Eve, please submit them by Tuesday, December the 14th. After this date, you can still dedicate a name to appear on the virtual lights of Love Tree only until Thursday, January the 6th. A city and county councillor has criticised the illegal actions of three taxi firms who refused to pick up a disabled and partially sighted woman because she had her guide dog with her. The woman was left in floods of tears after being turned away by three different black cabs while trying to get home from an Armistice Day service on November the 11th. Councillor Richard Udall, Labour spokesperson for licensing, has since condemned the decision and vowed to take further action to catch those responsible. He said their actions are simply illegal. It's disability discrimination. They have no excuses, no reasons and no right to refuse an assistant dog. As far as I am aware, no Worcester taxi driver has applied for an exemption from the rules because of an allergy. They should all, without question or hesitation, take a passenger with an assistance dog. It's time to get tough on these drivers. We have tried to persuade them. We have given warnings and it's clear some are still refusing. We now need to use entrapment and ask a guide dog owner to try and hire a taxi and to take action against any driver who refuses. They need to understand they cannot discriminate against anybody with disabilities. I will be asking for enforcement action to take place to ensure we catch those who are responsible and to take the necessary action against them. Councillor Udall used to play blind rugby in Worcester, acting as a sighted enabler for other players. He said, I used to pick up players from Fourgate Street Station with their dogs because taxis often refused to take them to six ways. I'm angry that despite numerous reminders that some taxi drivers are still ignoring the rules, it has to stop. Michelle Rasdell, owner of Mr Sims' old sweet shop in High Street, Worcester, said the woman came into the shop in floods of tears because she couldn't get home after being refused by three cabs. She was distraught and very distressed, Mrs Rasdell said. Under the Equality Act, guide dog owners have the right to enter the majority of services, premises and vehicles, including taxis, with their dog. Worcester Ukulele Club has raised more than £14,000 for children in need over the last six years, thanks to the generosity of people of the city. A total of £1,659 was raised with a four, within four and a half hours of singing and playing in Worcester's Crown Gate. That money was coupled with £260 from a Just Giving page, bringing the amount collected to £1,919. Added on to previous years, it brought the six-year total to a magnificent £14,493. Money that goes to children in the UK who need support. The Crowngate event was a terrific team effort, including the Mayor, the support of the Mayor and the Mayoress of Worcester, Councillor Stephen Hodgson and his wife, Councillor Lucy Hodgson. More than 50 players, accompanied by Pudsey Bear, played in Bell Square to entertain shoppers and raise money. The club's Children in Need organiser, Rosemary Henman, thanked all those who took part or supported. A controversial plan to build 50 homes on a former city golf course has received the backing of council officers once again, despite being previously rejected. 
The affordable housing could be built on the former Tolladine Golf Course in Worcester by Housing Association Bromford, with three homes in nearby Darwin Avenue demolished to make way. After rejection by Worcester City Council's planning committee in June, Bromford resubmitted the exact same plan, but with significantly enhanced landscaping. That plan is to go before the next meeting of the committee next week, and officers have revealed they are minded to approve the application. In the report, the officer writes, The comments of objection have not raised any material new issues, while the enhanced landscaping proposed in this application is considered to sufficiently address the concerns that were expressed at the time. It is recommended that planning permission is granted, subject to the conditions. Should the committee go against the recommendation of its own planning officers and reject the proposals, it will be the second time it has happened on the application, and it could then be appealed. Last year, a campaign was set up to stop the homes being built, with residents saying if if the plan went ahead, it would mean swapping priceless natural fields for pollution and congestion. A petition against the plans attracted more than 800 signatures. Residents have again submitted objections to the new application. One objector, Sharath Rayo, who lives in Darwin Avenue, said, This is mocking local residents. Once again, the application is made without any consideration to council members and their suggestions. Warndon Parish Council, WPC, in its latest objection said, The application claims its new application includes significantly enhanced landscaping. However, the difference between the earlier version and the current version seems to be negligible. WPC Trust's members will reject this application in the same way they rejected the previous version of this surprisingly identical application. The application will be heard at the committee's meeting, being held at the Guildhall from 1.30pm on Thursday, November 25th. People are invited to a special memorial service which will be held at Worcester Crematorium and Cemetery on Wednesday, December the 15th. It is an opportunity for people from across the city to come together and remember the loved ones that have died over the past year. Tickets are free, but numbers are limited to 100, so people are being encouraged to apply for tickets as soon as they can. Doug Henderson, Bereavement Services Manager at Worcester City Council, said... With festive celebrations around the corner, many people will be facing a very different Christmas from those they have known before because of the loss of a loved one. Our memorial service is an opportunity for people to come together, share the experience of grieving for a loved one and also celebrate that person's life. People of all faiths are welcome. To reserve your ticket, call 01905 or email Bereavement services at worcester.gov.uk. And that's the end of our general news. And now for the sport, starting with the basketball, Worcester Wolves, 
The form book was very nearly overturned when unbeaten Worcester Wolves were only able to scrape a 73-70 success at bottom of the table Birmingham Mets in the National Basketball League. As was becoming a pattern over their last few outings, Wolves rattled to a comfortable advantage, in this case 63-39 at the start of the fourth quarter, before allowing their opponents to revive and keep the outcome in the balance. Leading light, Lucas McGregor was missing through injury and was soon joined on the sidelines by Sean Parron Rackley after he took a blow to the face in the early moments of the match. His replacement, Tom Grayling, revelled in his introduction to the action when converting a Wilfred Santh assist into a two-handed dunk, aiding a 22-8 first period Worcester lead. Matty Batineau dictated the visitors' scoring over the remainder of the first half. Sanfe returned down his own chance to score and instead handed off to Battenhoe prior to a couple of hooks and the conversion of Asante, length of the court pass by the Romanian power forward. A 37-23 half-time gap widened after three pointers from Austin Payne and Ian Viveru Rodriguez. Payne produced a steal and race-away dunk, while Batineau again came to the fore with a take-no-prisoner thundering slam over flailing Birmingham defenders. But a near six-minute scoreless spell allowed the Mets a way back into the contest. A 10-3 home run forced a Wolves timeout with four minutes left in the match. The break in play did nothing to halt the host's momentum as a swift four points brought matters to 64-53. The last half minute of the event of the evening saw Worcester clinging to a 72-68 edge before Baltineau was whistled for an offensive push and Birmingham sank both resultant free throws. Another failed attack brought Mets possession of the ball with just five seconds to go and the chance of a game winner. However, Baltineau was able to jab his hand in the way of the inbound pass and deny an upset victory. Coach Dean Blake said, We got another win, but again, we could have been a bit smarter when we were put under pressure in the late stages. We'll now get extra time to prepare to meet Stoke. We need this break. If we include our Bucks University programme, we've had a lot of games recently with a lot of travel involved. We'll benefit from the rest and the chance to get players recovered and back out on the floor. Wolves now have a fortnight break before welcoming the rivals Stoke-on-Trent Knights to the University. Uh, moving on to cricket, Brett D'Oliveira is approaching the peak of his career with a new three-year contract. That is according to Worcestershire head coach Alex Gidman, who said the all-rounder was an integral part of the team. D'Oliveira had one year remaining of his current deal, but has put pen to paper until the end of the 2024 season. He becomes the seventh player to sign a new contract since the end of last summer and follows Joe Leach, Dylan Pennington, Josh Baker, Charlie Morris, Adam Finch and Mitchell Stanley in committing their futures at New Road. D'Oliveira enjoyed an excellent 2021 campaign in all formats. He received the Supporters Association Player of the Year and T20 Player of the Year awards at the end-of-season presentation evening. 
The 29-year-old was the Rapids' leading scorer with 358 runs in the Vitality Blast and the most economical bowler, conceding just 5.9 runs per over. D'Oliveira also scored nearly 500 runs in the LV Insurance County Championship and did an excellent job, particularly in the first block of games, in providing control and support with his leg spin to the four seamers. Gidman said, Brett is starting to get into what we believe is the peak time of his career. His performances are improving year on year. He has always been an integral part of the group off the pitch, so absolutely delighted he has agreed to stay and extend his contract with us. Last summer, he had as good a season as anyone could have hoped for. Brett has been around the club for a long time, which is really important. He understands the club and he understands the values of the club. As we go through a small transition with some younger players being introduced, the likes of Brett are crucial in moving forward. D'Oliveira made his debut for Worcestershire a decade ago and is pleased to extend his time at New Road further. He said, delighted to sign another three-year deal and commit myself to the club. It will be good to see where it takes me and the team in that period. Am I coming to my peak? It takes a few years to learn your role and to play your style. And I think I'm getting there now. Hopefully I can put that into the game and start producing some more results for the team and getting those wins. Now on to the football. Whittlesea's goalkeeper, Aaron Belairs, was the star of the day as his heroics in the penalty shootout saw his side dump Worcester City out of the build-base FA Vars in the second round. Callum Debar saw his penalty stopped by the impressive shot-stopper for the home side, sparking wild celebrations for the lower-level team. City had their chances to win the game in normal time, but Belez was in superb form as he kept the visitors out on a number of occasions to take the tie to penalties after a nil-nil final score. Worcester's Jake Daniels saved the first kick of the shootout, but Bailey Fuller also missed from the spot before Whittlesey's eventually won 7-6. City were missing the likes of usual keeper Adam Harrison and Billy Shaw due to being cup-tied and they also had to make do without injured centre-half Jake Whitehouse and the suspended Aaron Roberts. Jamie Smith deputised at centre-half with Sam Hall and in general they were rarely massively troubled by the home side. Left-back Sam Witten and Chris Withington both forced Belairs into brilliant first-half saves whilst Lewis Cook was a threat for Athletic in the City box, twice going close before the break. But the home side were doing well at containing City in the main and frustrated Tim Harris's men. James Douglas and Fuller had shots blocked by Belairs as the half wore on, and Ollie Gale also went close to heading the winner late on for the hosts. But, as per t- tournament rules, the game went straight to a penalty shootout after the full-time whistle. Daniels saved Joe Moore-Papworth's penalty before Fuller blazed over the bar with his. 
The hosts had a chance to win it after Chris Sterling saw his penalty saved by Belairs, but Cook smashed his strike against the bar to hand City a lifeline. Smith, Withington, Witten and Bekir Halil converted in sudden death before Debar's tame efforts were saved. Whittlesea celebrated wildly with their fans in the corner on the day they had dubbed the biggest in their history and what an afternoon it turned out to be for them. They take their place in the third round proper as they continue to enjoy their famous cup run but it's back to the league for Worcester next week as they host Shifnal Town at Clanes Lane. And that is the end of our contribution for this week. Thank you very much for listening and it just remains for me to say keep safe and until next time, goodbye. Bye. Goodbye. Now for the obituaries. Gary Christopher Moore passed away peacefully on the 18th of October. Funeral service will take place on Monday the 29th at Worcester Crematorium at 10am. Family flowers only, please, but donations, if desired, can be sent directly to MIND or left in donation box provided. All inquiries to AV Band. Marianne Bellamy passed away peacefully on the 19th of October. Funeral service will take place on Tuesday the 23rd of November at Worcester Crematorium at 11.30. Family flowers only, but donations, if desired, to St Richard's Hospice. All inquiries to AV Band. Uh, Patrick Cannon, on the 25th of October, a private cremation has already taken place, but a celebration of his life is being arranged and we hope that as many people who uh, want to remember him will be able to join us. So please contact Jill on salmons777 at btinternet.com. Betty... Louisa Purcell at Willow Bank House on Saturday the 30th of October. She'll be sadly missed. Funeral service will take place on Wednesday 1st of December at the Vale Crematorium at 2 o'clock. Family flowers only but donations if desired to Worcestershire Animal Rescue can be left in the donation box or sent directly to the charity. All inquiries to AV Band. Ken Kenneth Davis, known as Ken, passed away on Monday the 1st of November. His service is to take place at Worcester Crematorium on Wednesday the 8th of December at 2.30. Family flowers only if desired for air ambulance uh, or guide dogs. Donations may be left in the box. Uh, Rose Elizabeth Smith passed away on the 2nd of November. Her funeral service will be on Thursday the 2nd of December at St Nicholas Church in Droitwich at 11.15, followed by a cremation at Worcester. Family flowers only with donations for Midlands Air Ambulance. Stephen Steve Eric Avery passed away unexpectedly on Thursday the 4th of November. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium Monday the 29th of November at 1.45pm. Please wear something Christmassy to celebrate. Family flowers only, donations if desired, RNLI and air ambulance, at the funeral or to Bedwardine Funeral Services. Catherine Cathy Mary Barber passed away on 
10th of November. Funerals to be held on the 20th of December, Robin Hood Crematorium at 9.30am. Forever in our hearts. Susan Sue Gillian Gilman passed away on the 11th of November. Much loved wife, mother, nanny, aunt, sister and friend. Funeral service at the Vale Crematorium on Friday the 3rd of December at 2pm. Family flowers only please. Donations if desired for Midlands Air Ambulance Charity or Pancreatic Cancer UK may be sent to F.W. Spilsbury, Funeral Director. Glenis Valerie Vaughan passed away peacefully on the 11th of November. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on Tuesday the 30th of November at 1.45pm. Family flowers only, please, but donations if desired for Cancer Research UK may be left on the collection plate at the crematorium or sent to E.J. Gummery and Son. Doreen May Cooper, née Thompson, passed away peacefully on the 11th of November. Funeral service will take place at Worcester Crematorium on Friday the 3rd of December at 11.30am. Family flowers only, please, but donations if desired for St Richard's Hospice may be left at the crematorium or sent to Bedwardine Funeral Services. And our thoughts and prayers go to all those bereaved at this particularly difficult time. <laughs> 